All right. Thank you guys so much for being here. You guys look great. Happy summer. Summer is here. We want to continue our series today on how to make godly decisions. And I want to talk today about a subject that affects every single one of us. So whether you're white or black, whether you are young or old, whether you're a hipster or you're from the greatest generation, rich or poor, you are going to face this. I want to talk about dealing with temptation. And let's look at James chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. Listen to these words. It's in your outline. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own. Say own. His own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Amen. Now, there is probably nothing more that I like better than chocolate chip cookies, except for this one thing, chocolate chip cookies right out of the oven. Can I get a witness? Amen. Right there. That's the best amen I'll get all day, right there. Amen. <laughs> a number of years ago, I used to travel across the country preaching in about 30 different denominations all across the country. I did that for about, all across the country, I did that for about 10 years. I was on the road 300 days out of the year, and I was just zigzagging across the country. And one day, I was speaking in a church in Independent, Kansas. And I was having my morning devotions, and I felt impressed by God to have a fast. And so I decided, okay, I would fast food. I wouldn't eat food for a certain number of days. And so I skipped breakfast. That was easy. I skipped lunch. That was pretty easy. And I was well on my way approaching dinner time. And about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, there was a knock at my travel trailer's door. And I opened the door and there stood a woman in her hand with chocolate chip cookies right out of the oven. And being a man of God, I said, get thee behind me, Satan, slammed the door in front of her face and went back in. Do you believe that? If you believe that, you don't know your pastor. And so she gave me the chocolate chip cookies. I took them from her. I thanked her profusely. I brought them into my travel trailer. I set them on the table, and I went back to trying to fast. How could I stand up to the pressure? And inevitably, I, I wanted to shake off responsibility, and I, I tried to keep my focus off those cookies. I rebuked them. 
I prayed about them. I said, you won't beat me, cookie. Get behind me, Satan, chocolate chip cookie. And there I was in that travel trailer with this temptation. How was I going to win? I think all of us at some point in time in our lives have faced a temptation that we have fallen into. Now I want to say real quickly here that before I get started here, that, that temptation is not sin. To be tempted is not to be sinful. To be tempted is not to commit sin. The Bible says that Jesus Christ himself was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted, and yet he was without sin. Before we jump into us, I want to say this, that temptation is unavoidable. Temptation is inevitable. As long as you have lungs that breathe air and a heart that beats blood, you will be tempted at some point in your life. And third, I want to say this, although we will all be tempted, and although temptation is inevitable, we do not, as followers of Christ Jesus, serving the resurrected Lord, have to give in to temptation. But here's the question, how does one remain steadfast? When you are there and there is the proverbial chocolate chip cookie facing you and you're tempted by it. Let's look at the scriptures. Number one, first of all, when we deal with temptation, we must take personal responsibility. The word responsibility means that we have the ability to respond. We are different than animals. We are not Pavlov's dog. We are not conditioned to have to respond in one way. We have this thing called integrity. We have a spirit that enables us to respond with responsibility, the ability to choose our response. Look at verse 13 in your notes there. It says, let no one say when he is tempted... I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So, so how do I take responsibility? First of all, I have to opt out of the blame game. What do I mean by that? We've got to realize today, my friends, that when we sin and when we fall, it's no one else's fault. It's not God's fault. It's not the devil's fault. I must take personal responsibility. So many times we blame our parents for not having the upbringing that we should have had. And so we blame them or we blame a friend or we blame peer pressure. Or maybe we have a certain personality. Perhaps maybe you have a sanguine personality. On the Myers-Briggs, you're an ENFJ. And because you're an ENFJ or you're a sanguine or you're an extrovert, you say, well, I just lust because that's my personality. Perhaps you have a bad temper, and so you blame on the fact that you are Scottish or you're Irish. And you say, you know what, I just blow up in traffic because it's my genetic code. My dad was a redheaded Scot, and man, he had a bad attitude. And so when I drive, it's just who I am. And we blame 
our ethnicity. Maybe we blame the devil. Oh, the devil made me do it. I was doing just fine, and, and the devil tripped me up, and it's his fault. And as I mentioned last week, maybe we blame God. And this has been going on for several thousands of years. I told you the story last week, but I want to repeat it again. It sounds crazy that we would blame God for our temptation, that we blame God for our sin. But the Bible says God tempts no one. But we are tempted when we're led astray by our own desires. When God made man, God made woman, it was the perfect environment. No humidity. 70 degrees. You plant five seeds and no thorns choke out, choke out your roses. You plant five roses, five roses bloom, no need to mulch. It is wonderful being a gardener. God gave Adam a wife. He fell in love with her. She fell in love with him. It was the perfect environment. He was a man that didn't have a mother-in-law or a father-in-law. It was a perfect environment. And God said, it's all yours. Except one thing, do not eat the fruit. And Adam and Eve sinned. And what happened? Eve blamed the devil. She said, the serpent made me do it. And when God looked at, at, at man, here is what man said. Man says, this woman that you gave me caused me to do this. If you read it incorrectly, you think he's blaming his wife. Adam isn't blaming his wife for his sin. He is blaming God. The woman blamed the devil and the man blamed God. You gave me her. And because you gave me the woman, I have sinned. It's your fault, God. Next, if we, if we want to take responsibility, we've got to refuse to make excuses. So we, we've got to stop the blame game, and then we've got to stop making excuses. Most of our crippling habits are caused when we begin to make excuses. How many times have you done this? I deserve this, so I'm going to eat these cookies. I am entitled this. Or have you ever fallen off and you've made a mistake or you've sinned and you said, well, it was just a mistake. Or nobody's perfect, everyone does this. Or I was pressured into it. If we're facing temptation, we must take personal responsibility and say, I have the ability to choose my response. There's a moment called the moment of integrity. That when we are tempted, there is that moment of whether we choose to cave into it or we choose to overcome it. The moment always comes. It's that moment of integrity. Guys, it's when you see the attractive woman and you see her and you're a married man and you see the attractive woman and you notice and in your mind and you're going to notice because you have eyes and she's a part of God's creation and you say she's attractive. But at that moment, there's the moment of integrity. Do we go beyond saying I appreciate her or go beyond to now I'm in bed with her? You see the difference? There's that moment of integrity. 
It's when you're flipping through the channels and you see something on TV you shouldn't watch. And you have that moment. Do I keep on going on or do I stop and I stay right there? It's the moment of integrity. Take personal responsibility. Number two, dealing with temptation. We must recognize the pattern of temptation. Temptation always follows the exact same pattern no matter what it is. And I'm going to listen quickly, then I'm going to break them down. First of all, there is the destructive desire. There's the disobedience or sin. And then there is death. So there is destructive desire. There is disobedience. And then there is death. It always follows that pattern. Destructive desire. I act upon it. I disobey God's revealed will and death. Look at James verses 14 and 15 of the same chapter we're reading here. Listen to these words. It says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, disobedience, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Look at those words there. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Most desires are okay. We have a desire to eat. We have a desire to drink. We have a desire to sleep. Within marriage, we have a desire for sex. We have a desire to accomplish and conquer. I love to get in my kayak and conquer the creek. I love to hike a mountain and conquer the mountain. Laura has got me scheduled to conquer Mount Rogers later in the month. We're going to conquer the highest point in Virginia, and I desire to do that, and there's a desire to do that. But we must recognize the pattern that our ungodly desires will lure us away. Look at those words, lured and enticed. It's a hunting word, the word lured. And some of your old uh, translations, it says the term dragged away. And you are dragged away by your own desires. You are lured. It's a hunter's term that says he's going to trap you in a trap. And so my own destructive desires lures me into a trap. Fishermen, when you go fishing, what do you do? You get that lure and you set the trap for the crappie. Hunters, what do you do when you want to get deer? You go out before time and you get yourselves in that, that high spot and the vantage point. Some places they spread corn out or, or what I call cheat a little bit to get lure in that deer to shoot him. Enticed, let me catch you with some bait. Let me capture you. Here's the reality. We are lured away. We are enticed. Why? When we think that there is something that will make us more happier than God. There's this mentality that if only I can make the trade, this will make me more happy. You see, God wants us to be satisfied in Him, who He is in His love. He wants us satisfied in our marriages. He wants us satisfied where we're at, but we get lured with our own desires that are destructive 
wants something other than what God has for us. And there are some things that are in his revealed will. Well, he says it's off limits. And let me say this. I want to say it again. I don't want to be a killjoy to you. The life serving God is the abundant life. It's the fulfilled life. It's the full life. It's the joyful life. But listen. Listen carefully. When God says, don't do something, it's not because he's a killjoy and says, I don't want you to do it. God the Father is the one who created you. He knows what makes you tick. He knows what makes you succeed. He knows what fulfills you. He knows how you are designed. And because he is the divine desire, he knows that this will short-circuit you. He knows this will destroy you. There's a reason why he set up monogamous relationships. Because it's the way you were designed. And he knows something outside of that will short-circuit you. Listen, the highway patrol doesn't put the 35-mile-per-hour sign up because they're mad at you and want to get at you. Oh, I want to slow Roger down. I want to ruin his day. I want to give him a ticket. So let's post 35 here. No, the 35 was there because someone studied and said, you know what, it's safer to have this at 35 miles per hour because there's a curve here. And if we put it at 35, we know what human nature is going to do. Human nature is going to put it at 45, and so we want to plan on that to make it safe. And God gives commands and God gives principles not to put you down, not to hem you in, but because he loves you, he designed you, and he wants you to have a full, fulfilling, joyful life. And so what happens is, the first is our destructive desire. And then we act upon the destructive desire, and it's disobedience. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. What starts in our mind often has its fulfillment in our lifestyle. Your body is the manifestation of what you think. Your body is the product of your think life. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So he will become. So he is becoming. So if in my mind I am a failure, I began to self-prophesy and become that. If in my mind I am thinking about destructive thoughts, I become the manifestation of the thoughts. The thoughts are not simply little innocent things, my friend. Thoughts are seeds that plant. Thoughts are seeds that are watered. Thoughts are seeds that are reinforced by the fertilizer of our minds. And at some point, they grow and they produce fruit. So whatever I'm thinking about, I eventually become. Whatever I think about, I begin to move toward. Oh, it's just a thought, Pastor. I just thought it. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So the destructive desire is there, and I think upon him, and I chew it like a cow chewing its cud. I just chew on it, and I think about it. And I think it's safe because it's in my mind, and no one knows it because it's in my mind, and I chew on it, and I chew on it, and I chew on it. And you began to act out the thoughts. Which brings us to the third part of the pattern, death. So we have the destructive desire, 
We disobey and it brings death. Look at verse 15. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. What is death? Death is the opposite of living. What is death? Death is the absence of life. What is death? And we've got people, they're walking dead people. They're alive in the body, but they're dead in their spirit. They have already died, and they're dying. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Sin and disobedience brings death to relationships. It brings death to emotions. It brings death to churches and businesses. It becomes dysfunctional. I love reading history, and so I guess that's why I love the Old Testament so much in our Bible. Go back and read your Old Testament and start seeing the stories of how disobedience have racked up and messed up people's lives. This guy lied to this guy, got him in a situation he shouldn't be in, and now someone lied to him, and now he had to lie to get out of that, to get into this problem over here. It brings destruction. A number of years ago, my grandmother passed away, Grandma Midge, and she was a wonderful lady. We loved her dearly. And in Kansas, where I'm from, when someone passes, they still bring food over to your house. So people that we never met that knew grandma came by my parents' house and brought all kinds of food. Well, my mother is a dog lover, as Laura and I are, and she had a beautiful Pomeranian named Pavi Air. My mother picks the worst names ever. We had a Chapoodle, we had a Chikara, and we had a Pavi Air. Yes. Can we just have Spot and Buck, you know? Wouldn't that be a little better? Hey, Buck, hey, Spot. No, Pavier. So see me out there being a teenager saying, hey, Pavier. And here comes this little prancy little Pomeranian. <laughs> well, here's what happened. Pavier had a hot little poodle down the street. And any chance he could, he would sneak out that door and he'd go see his girlfriend. And so they were bringing food over for grandma, and someone let the door open, and Pavier split. And so we go looking at the poodle's house, and guess what? He's not there, and she didn't know where he was. And so we looked until late that night, and there was no Pavier. We couldn't find Pavier. Where's Pavier? Next morning we got up, we looked for Pavier, couldn't find Pavier. Pavier's never been gone this long, this long, where's Pavier? And so we went to Grandma's funeral, got out of Grandma's funeral, went back looking for Pavier. And finally we were walking and we asked a young man, said, hey, have you seen Pavier? Oh yeah, he's over here. I'll never forget it, being a teenager. We went to go see Pavier, and we walked in the field, and there was Pavier in the field. And my mom, because he was mom's dog, mom goes, come here, baby. And Pavier didn't come. Come here, honey. And Pavier didn't come. And finally, like she treated her teenage boys, she said, Pavier, get over here now. And Pavier didn't come. And she clapped her hands and she yelled at Pavier, and at that moment, a huge pit bull 
jumped up snarling and barking and growling. And I'm sorry to report, Javier was dead. I didn't know if I was going to share that story with you. But the reason I share it with you is because I think it's important to shock the mind and the heart by the story that this is the consequence of disobedience. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will make you pay more than you want to pay. He had a desire he followed his desire, and he decided that he was bigger than the pit bull and went right in and tried to eat the pit bull's food and said, I'm big enough, I'm tough enough, I can handle it. And all of us in our minds, man, we think I'm big enough, I'm tough enough, I'm smart enough, I'm fast enough, I can get myself in it and I can stop at any time. Perhaps you are in sobriety right now and, and you are now about three years clean and you go to the Christmas party and you tell yourself in your mind, I've been sober for three months, everyone else is having a beer, I can handle it. I am tough enough, I'm smart enough, I'm strong enough. Maybe your best buddy can handle it, but you know in the past you have fought with it and you take the drink and what happens? You go further than you want to go. You pay more than you want to pay. You stay longer than you want to stay. Sin has a pattern. It steals. It kills. It destroys. Recognize the pattern. A destructive desire. Acting upon the desire. And death. It's amazing to me, my friends, that you don't throw something ugly when you're fishing. You, you want to get something shiny. You want to get something that catches the eye. Maybe you, you get a scent that the catfish likes, like a little bit of liver. You know it likes the liver. And you put, or you, you're, you're with crappie. You know they like corn. And you put the corn in there. It looks so good. And it looks so nice. But inside of that piece of meat, inside that that piece of corn, inside that lure, there's a hook there to hook you. It will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. We've got to train ourselves to think in terms of the consequences of our actions. If I do this, what? We've got to get out of the emotion of the situation and think in terms of what happens when I do this. So when we face temptation, we must take responsibility, recognize the pattern, and here comes the good news. Look at someone and say, here's the good news. We must focus, refocus our attention. We must refocus our attention. Look at how James switches gears in verse 16. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every, say every. every. Circle it in your outline. Every good gift. And every perfect gift is from above. 
coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I love James. Here James is giving us warnings saying it's going to bring forth death. Be aware that sin when it's fully birthed will kill you. Be aware of that. And he gives us this warning. He says don't run through a red light 55 miles per hour. Don't speed. Don't speed. Dangerous curve ahead. Warning, warning, warning. And after he gives us the warning he shifts gears and he says hey, by the way let me give you some good news. Every good thing in your life, God has given it to you. Every blessing in your life, it was a gift from God. Every wonderful blessing God gave you. And so he says, listen, when you're dealing with temptation, take responsibility, recognize the pattern, but now begin to refocus on the good gifts. Refocus. When I learned to drive, I got my driver's license in Kansas at 14 years old, my permit. I started driving at 14 years old, bought my first car for $1,100. It was a 1977 Ford Granada Royal Blue, and I loved that car. At 15, I had my restricted driver's license, and I could drive to work to, at the gas station, and I could drive to school, or I could carry anyone in the car with me. It was a wonderful day, and I, I've been driving the car for about two days. I come down a major intersection in my hometown, and I look over. There's a young girl girl that I knew and what any teenage boy did. I took my hands off the steering wheel, took my eyes off the road. Hey, Sally! And I'm waving and I'm just having a good old time. And when I turned, the horrible driver in front of me had stopped. <laughs> and wham! I wrecked my car. And I thought to myself, do I tell my dad? No, I don't tell my dad. How can I cover this? How can I park it? I don't want dad to know it. And I got out of the car, and the man and the woman was there and said, aren't you Jack's boy? <laughs> the problem with living in Mayberry is everybody knows you. So dad knew. We've got to refocus our attention. Here I was Focusing on the wrong thing. And guys, we got to refocus. And what do we focus on? Focus on God's good gifts. When you're tempted, think about what God has given you. Think about the good things. Steadfast, he shall receive a crown of life. Next verse. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift. It's from above. And so here's what happens. Behind every temptation is this thought that says, I'm not getting the best deal. I, God is withholding something from me. God isn't giving me the best. Can I say this to you real quickly? That God gives you the best. He wants the full life. He wants the joyful life for you. And look what it says again. Look at it there for just a moment. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. He will receive the crown of life. 
That crown talks about a crown that the Greeks gave. It was a, it was a wreath that when you finished a race, they put this wreath on your head like they did at Athens. And it was the crown of life. It was, I have won the victory wreath. Look, I have won. And he says, listen, endure temptation. He's going to give you the victor's crown. Then he says, every good and perfect gift is from God above. God gave Adam life. God gave him a lover. God gave him a garden. God gave him everything. And he threw it away. Years later, when Jesus is tempted, look at what Jesus says to Satan. It's not in your notes, but listen to what he says. He says, Satan, man shall not live by bread alone. You want me to trade everything I have for this piece of bread? You want me to trade this steak for a piece of green bologna? You want me to trade this glass of 50-year-old wine for a room-temperature Michelob? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. When you're tempted, begin to thank God for his gifts. Thank you for my job, but I hate my job. But you have a job. Thank you for the blessings. Thank you for your kids. Do you know my kids? You have kids. Thank you for your kids. Thank you for the blessings, for the breath of life that you're breathing, that your air is going through your lungs. Thank you for the fact that you walked in here. Thank him that you're breathing if you didn't walk in here. Thank you for the gifts he's given you. And then refocus on his good character. Verse 17, look at it again. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Look at that. With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Refocus on God's good gifts. Refocus on God's good character. He cannot be eclipsed. He cannot be shadowed out. He cannot be extinguished. Never forget that God doesn't change. Never forget that God doesn't tempt you with evil. Never forget that God doesn't want you to lose. That God wants you to win. That God wants you to overcome. That God wants you to live abundant life. Never forget that God doesn't want evil or wickedness or destruction for you. Remember that God is pulling for you and God is rooting for you. Remember God's on your side. He's not out to get you. That God isn't angry at you. He's not some traffic cop in heaven saying, I can't wait to write you a ticket. God is not live PD as much as I like that show. He's not. He's your father. He gives good gifts. And I don't have time to get into it. But refocus on God's good news. Verse 18. Look at these words. Of his own will, he brought us forth. He birthed us. He birthed us is the word. 
of his own will, he gave us life. How? By the word of truth. Later on, Paul calls the word of truth the gospel, the good news. He gave us life by the good news. Why? That we should be a kind of first fruits of all creatures. Here's the point. Here's the point. When you fail, remember the gospel. And what is the gospel? That Jesus Christ died upon the cross in your place as your substitute, taking the anger and the wrath of God upon himself. When you sin, look back at the cross and remember that Jesus Christ paid the price so that you could be a son and daughter of God. And when you are tempted, remember the gospel. The resurrection that the Jesus Christ who died did not stay dead, but God raised him from the dead. And because he lives, you shall live also. So when you fail, look at the cross for mercy. And when you're in that moment of temptation, remember that the same God who raised Christ from the dead has the power to deliver you out of your temptation, that you don't have to cave, that you don't have to give in, that you don't have to fall back into addiction, that you don't have to fall back into the patterns of destructive relationships, that you sleep with every guy you meet, that God has a good guy that loves you for more than your body, but he loves you and he loves... That's not in my notes. It should have been. The resurrection power of God. Refocus on God's gifts, on his goodness, and the gospel. What's the gospel? That God loves you. That God wants to know you. That God has paid the price. That God has won the battle. That God has won the war. That he defeated death and sin and the grave. And he's defeated all of those things you will overcome too. Amen. I'm going to stop right there. Every week we come to you here and we proclaim the message to you. And it's my joy, it's my privilege to talk to you every week. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for being out here on a summer. You have so many choices, so many great churches around the area that we pray for and we bless. We're in competition with no other church. We pray for their prosperity and pray that God blesses them. But thank you that you're here today. And my desire is never to beat you up or knock you down or make you feel like you don't matter. But I'm here to tell you, God loves you. He created you. He gave his son to give you life. Don't live it half-lived. Don't walk out of here as a walking dead person, but experience his abundant life, experience his abundant joy, and make godly decisions. How? That when you're tempted, don't give in to the destructive desire, but turn it over to God and follow his plan. You won't regret it. I was raised in a non-Christian home. My dad's unbeliever. The only one that was a believer in my household was my granny and my newly saved mother. And I met Jesus Christ at eight years old. He changed the very trajectory of my life. Now, let's be honest. 
I haven't done everything right. I haven't done everything perfect. I have had to fall upon his grace time after time after time again. I ate the cookies that day. I ate every single one of them. And they were good. And maybe you're at a point right now, you have ate every single cookie. What do you do? I know my time's up. You come and you say, Jesus, I ask you for your mercy and your grace. I receive your mercy and your grace. And there is nothing you've done, nothing you've said, nowhere you've been that his grace can't reach you. And what do you do when you're right there and you're about to pull the trigger and you're about to take that drink at the Christmas party? You've been sober for three years and you know you shouldn't stand there and say, I stand in the finished work of Jesus Christ who conquered death, hell, and the grave. And because he has conquered and he's won, I stand here in his power of his resurrection and I say no because of his resurrection power in me. Wow. Amen. Stand with me if you will. Hallelujah. Look at someone real quickly and say, He's a good God. He has good gifts. He's for you. He's not against you. Laura, won't you come? Band, won't you come? Father, thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, your resurrection power of your spirit. Thank you that you don't leave us fatherless, that you don't abandon us. Thank you that you've begun a work in us and you're going to finish that work. God, thank you for pastors and people that will tell us the truth, even when it's sometimes not popular. Lord, may everyone here know your love, experience your gifts, and your grace today, I pray.